This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 145, Losing Someone to Suicide with special guest, Rachel Clement Fiore. Welcome to Building Resilience, a podcast where theory, practical strategies, and inspiring stories show you how to unlock your best life. I'm your host, Leah Davidson. As a certified life coach, speech language pathologist, and nervous system resilience expert, it is my mission to teach you how to be more resilient to life's adversities. I will show you how to manage your mind, befriend your nervous system, process your emotions, and even eliminate stress. It's time to do more than just survive. It's time to thrive. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to the Building Resilience Podcast. Today, we are continuing a conversation about a sensitive topic. So just as a trigger warning for you, last week, I had on a special guest, my daughter-in-law, Rachel Clement Fiore, and we were talking about suicide awareness. So please go back to last week's episode to listen to our conversation there. We are talking about this because it is Suicide Awareness Month. And because unfortunately, Rachel tragically lost her brother in mid-August as he died by suicide. So welcome back, Rachel, and thank you so much for coming back to talk with me today on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Last week, we talked all about the myths of suicide. We wanted to help spread awareness. And as we said in that episode, we are not experts. We shared information that is put out there. Primarily, we were looking at information from the Mayo Clinic and the Samaritans. And then there's also some great resources, both in the States and Canada. We also shared there is a course, a QPR gateway course that really helps educate you about the warning signs, what you should do if someone is sharing with you that they are having suicidal thoughts. And I think it really should be mandatory training because most of us are not equipped. We don't know what to do. If someone is expressing suicide ideation, you need to get professional help. And if you don't know who to reach or what to do, there are suicide hotlines that are always available. And in Canada, just to share again, the number is 1-833-456-4566. And in the U.S., it's 988. And then obviously, if somebody is actively suicidal, you call 911. Now, today, though, we are shifting gears just a little bit. We're going to talk about loss. We want to talk about how to help yourself if you are suffering from loss or to support someone who has lost someone to suicide. I do think in general that people are uncomfortable with loss. They don't know what to say or what not to say or do or what not to do. And that's just loss in general. But there's an added layer, I think, when somebody dies by suicide. So we're going to share some ways that you can support someone who's dealing with the loss. And again, we're drawing from the websites directed towards suicide awareness and prevention. And then obviously, Rachel is going to be sharing with us some of her personal experiences. And people are individuals, but I'm sure she could shed some light Because grief can be very complicated with lots of different emotions, wouldn't you say, Rachel? Yeah, it it really is kind of a multitude of things that contributes. And often with suicide, there are so, so many layers of all these different emotions. There's often shock, overwhelm, disbelief. There may be guilt. There can be anger. 
obviously anguish, sadness, sorrow, depression, anxiety, all of these things that kind of compound to this overwhelming grief experience. And because of that, because when it gets super overwhelming, often people can feel numb, disconnected, in denial. So that is why you need to have support and reach out if you are feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And really, whatever somebody feels, it's what they feel. So there's no right or wrong way to feel and certainly not something that anyone can ever judge you on or really have an opinion on. So allowing space for all the emotions because people grieve in their own ways. And I think it's common for grief to come in waves that you feel it and then come back and forth. Yeah. And that's something that I had kind of always heard, whether it was like in movies or just kind of around. And I didn't really understand it until now the whole Mm. grief comes in waves things, it really does. And it can sometimes come completely out of nowhere. And you you might see something that triggers it. And then it's just this overwhelmingly powerful feeling. And Mm. I just want to say that from my experience, these emotions for me have been different to anything I've ever felt before. And they can be a lot to process and everyone's going to do things differently. And one thing I've been trying to keep in mind for myself is that there really is no timeline mm-hmm. because as we've gotten further and further, it still happened really recently, but I have found myself thinking, okay, maybe I shouldn't be feeling this way because it's been X amount of time, but really everyone is going to handle these things differently. Exactly. And that's so important to give yourself that grace and have that awareness that there is no timeline. And we do know about grief that it comes in waves and it doesn't disappear as time goes away. We sometimes just learn how to live with the loss. It changes, it moves, but it's very likely that this is something that will will show up at different times in your life and no judgment on, well, it's been X amount of time. I should be done by then. It's not linear. So you're not going to have a deadline for it either. Well, exactly. And I kind of like to picture it as like, my little friend. I'm going to learn how to befriend this grief because it's going to be with me for the rest of my life. I don't want to get over it. It's not something I want to get over or forget. It's just like you said, learning how to live with it, befriending our little grief friend and kind of learning how to make it mean something. I love that. I think that's one of the best things you can do because when we resist emotions, there's that saying, what you resist persists. And if you can invite it in, it's not like it makes it quote unquote easier, but it allows you to continue moving forward while you're still befriending that challenging emotion. Yeah. So one of the first things we can share about dealing with loss is what we've sort of been talking about, allow all the emotions. And I think in upcoming weeks, I'm going to put out an episode about dealing with difficult emotions, but allowing them, expressing them, they are real, they exist and they are normal. There are different ways that you can help process them. Some people will be writing in a journal or other people will be talking to a friend. And often people benefit from seeing a professional. So getting yourself some support, reaching out to others. There are support groups online, in person. Connection is really important. And then even connecting with others who have experienced or are experiencing something similar can be a really important thing to do. Yeah, I completely agree. And Leah, I think you had mentioned to me before I came back to Utah that you had read somewhere that 
people often need more support than they think they're going to need mm-hmm. kind of after the initial shock yeah. of the loss. Yeah. And I can attest that it is true. Yeah. I was planting that seed. <laughs> I was hesitant sending you guys back off to Utah. I know you have an amazing support system with your friends at school and, and a few family members there, but I knew that you would be heading out and don't underestimate how much support you need and how often you want to reach out for that support. Exactly. Yeah. So another thing that you can do to help process this grief is to take care of yourself, proper self-care. And that includes all the basics. So sleep, eating properly, getting some daily movement, all things that may be hard to do, especially kind of when you're feeling super down or really heavy. That's what I kind of describe it as. It's just this constant heaviness, Mm -hmm. but all of these things help make that a little bit lighter. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny because we, before we started recording this episode, I was catching up with Rachel about her weekend. I I, I realized now as we're talking, yeah. I ran through the, you know, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Have you guys been getting out and having some date nights? Have you been seeing friends? Have you been working out? I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I realized I was checking in because these are basic self-care things are so important when you are going through, they're important in general, but when you're going through this grief process, they often get forgotten and pushed to the side. And maybe you'll take care of things like you're in school or your work, but you'll push aside some of these other basics, which really are the things that will be supporting you overall. Exactly. And I I feel like a lot of people, myself included, can experience a lot of depressive symptoms. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel like you have a lot of energy. You don't feel like you really want to do much, but these things help boost your energy, like exercise, especially scientifically proven, it boosts your energy. So these things can kind of give you a little pick me up. Yeah. Even if you don't feel that way. Yeah. Now, another thing that is important, but hard to do, and we've had conversations about this as well, is to stop asking why you likely will never know why. And in one of the articles that I was reading, it talked about Even if your loved one has left a suicide note or there were some indicators, it still will likely not provide the answers that you're looking for. Because someone who is suicidal, this is what the article was sharing, they they really have a skewed view of what's happening to them. They're in so much pain that the only way they can see to escape that pain is by taking their own life. They're not thinking of the devastating effects of their actions, of you know what people will feel, the people they leave behind. They're just trying to escape the unbearable pain they're suffering. And most do wish for an alternative way to end their suffering, but they're blinded by these overwhelming negative emotions that they see no other solution. So obviously it's understandable that trying to understand why is part of the grieving process, but it's unlikely that you will ever get the answers that will fully satisfy you. And even the answers will not bring them back. So it's not going to ease your pain. So trying to set aside as much as possible the question of why. I love that. The next thing is to let go of guilt, anger, and blame. And this can be really hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. There is a tendency to be questioning things, should or could have someone else done more. And while these are all normal questions and emotions, when it comes down to it, we can't control people. 
And they're simply things that are just out of our control. Blaming, feeling guilt, being angry. Again, our normal feelings to have and to process, but if you keep dwelling, you can get stuck. And so it's really important to just allow that to move through. You don't suppress it. Cause like Leah said, what was it? What you resist persists. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> make sure you're feeling that and also acknowledging that it's normal, but that it's not kind of like the point before it's not going to change anything. Right. It's not going to bring them right. back. And sometimes what happens is people will do some research or they'll listen to like an episode like we're doing or we did last time about suicide awareness. They'll learn more about suicide and they may find that, oh no, maybe I missed a warning sign or I didn't do what was recommended to do. And this can result in guilt and internal blaming, which in turn, they may try to find someone or something else to blame. And it's not in service to anyone, not the person you lost, not you, not the loved ones, the other loved ones, your family members that are grieving. Everyone has their own experience with grief, and it's going to look very individual for people. And about that, I just want to say, you cannot judge your past self with the new knowledge that your present self has gained. It is not helpful. If anything, you should use that knowledge to guide your future, to be able to reach out to people, to help people, because it really isn't fair to yourself to blame your past self. Right. And that being your mother-in-law many years ahead of you is something (laughs) you will need to remind yourself of for years to come with everything in life. Decisions that you make as a younger adult, decisions you will make eventually when you have kids. We often judge ourselves based on the knowledge that we have now. We have to remember that when we were dealing with things back then, we were doing the best that we could with the information that we had then. So you're right. It's not a fair comparison. We do it often, but I love that you're bringing this up, especially around this topic, because I think that when we know more, we think, well, I should have done this. I could have done this. How could this have been different? You did the best that you could, and that's it. We don't have to worry about anything else. And again, we're not sharing all these things to say that this will be everyone's experience because like we said before, we're not experts in grief, as we've mentioned a few times, is very personal. Now, obviously, Rachel, you're grieving now and it will look different for you than it will look like for other family members or other loved ones. There's no right way to grieve. You all have different experiences and perspectives and personalities and nervous systems. You all have so many different things going on that your grief is as individual as your fingerprint is. Yeah, exactly. Like right now, I've been finding it super helpful to talk about it, talk with people, share who my brother was, share the video Mm -hmm. that we made for his funeral so that more people can come to know and love him, even though he's not physically here with us anymore. And then also doing things like this podcast, or I chose to write about suicide for my big research paper this semester. So for me, doing things and making this horrible, tragic thing mean something has been really helpful for me processing this grief. Yeah. And a lot of people use the loss like you're doing to help other people. And that may come in time for you. It's something you immediately knew you wanted to do. Other people need more time to figure out how are they going to process that? Would that be helpful? 
And we need to be careful we don't judge people's timing because some people may say, well, it's so soon that you're talking about it already, or maybe in a few years time, somebody else is going to talk about it. Grief is personal. What is helpful for one person will look different for another. And that even comes like with people. Sometimes people want to build like a type of memorial or a tribute, or they want to do something like come on a podcast or write something or start a charity, set up a fund, exactly what you're doing to spread awareness. Timing is individual. There's no such thing as too soon or too late to be dealing with your grief. Yeah, I love that. I'm just going to add a few personal things that have been helping me throughout this process. So we had kind of talked about writing earlier, like in a journal, but Leah had also suggested to me to write and discard, Mm -hmm. especially when you are feeling those feelings that you don't really want to say out loud, but it's a really good way to be able to process that. And that really has been helping me. And then also I was meeting with my counselor today and they talked to me about scheduling in time for grief to make sure that I'm taking that time to feel and to process, especially if you are someone who kind of had to jump right into things Mm -hmm. soon after making sure you take that time to feel has been really helpful, which is exactly what happened with you that right after the funeral, you guys had to drive back to Utah. You had to move, you had to start school. There hasn't been a lot of time. And again, there's no judgment on, well, they should take time or you shouldn't have gone back to school. You shouldn't have done that. You need to do what you need to do. But I like the idea of scheduling in time for grief and having that space in your schedule just to Mm -hmm. allow yourself to do what you feel you want to do, what your body's needing you to do and how the loss is going to come out. Now we're going to shift gears and talk about what others can do to support someone who has lost a loved one to suicide. Right. And I think the first thing is it's normal to not know what to do or say. It can feel really awkward. I know that when we first found out about Rachel's brother, a couple of our kids, when I spoke with them and shared with them what had happened right away, the reaction was they didn't know what to do or say. And my advice to them, obviously this is new territory for me as well, but my advice was just be present, give her a hug. There is nothing expected that you will do or say. There's nothing you can do or say to make anything better, but you certainly don't want to ignore it. I know sometimes it's easier. Well, if I don't know what to do or say, then I'll just say or do nothing. But I think you want to acknowledge, and that was the advice that I I gave my kids is just let Rachel know that you're there and hug her. I think sometimes people think they need to give you a lot of space but you can give them space if that's what they ask from you. But other than that, your presence is what is needed. I don't know, Rachel, that was what I had recommended to your siblings-in-law. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to say because it was awkward. So I'm sure you were experiencing it on the other end. Well, I can just kind of attest to what Leah had just said. It was great advice. I just remember coming back from the hospital that day we had spent like 11 hours and it was so emotionally grueling. And I remember walking in the door and Josh was there and he had some tears in his eyes and he just gave me a hug and said, I'm so sorry, Rachel. And it was so meaningful and powerful. He didn't really have to say anything. Didn't really have to do that much either. 
but it was just so powerful. And that kind of leads me, I was going to share some of the things that I had appreciated that people did. So that kind of is the first one where some of the most powerful moments I experienced, there was never actually anything said. And I kind of felt that there was a beauty in that silence. And it was just wholesome, genuine human connection, like two grieving souls just connecting. And something as simple as a hug or a hand on the Mm -hmm. shoulder can be incredibly meaningful. And I know we're going to talk about this in a second, but people who just did things without asking and not invasive (laughs) or like intrusive things. (laughs) (laughs) For example, some people came and just dropped off some cookies and some flowers at the door and didn't say anything and just left. They didn't ask me, do you need anything? Is there something I can do? They just came, dropped it off and left. So it was super like, if I didn't feel like coming to the door, there was no judgment or expectation. And that was really Mm -hmm. meaningful because it Mm -hmm. felt like they were doing something for me, you know? And then the third one I was going to share is that texts and reaching out really did mean a lot, especially when people made it clear that they didn't care if you responded or didn't expect you to respond. And in a time like that and like this currently, when you're already feeling so overwhelmed with family stuff, emotions, so many things that you can't really comprehend, the multitude of messages can also feel overwhelming, but they are really appreciated because I saw every single one that came in, even if I didn't respond. I saw it and I felt loved. And then the last one I'll say is that kind of like what we talked about before, but I really did like it when people acknowledged what had happened. And I noticed that especially coming back to school because I know mm-hmm. most people knew because I had posted about it on Instagram. And I really appreciated it. Even if it was a couple seconds, the first time I saw them just being like, Rachel, like this sucks. And then we moved on with the night, but it was acknowledged. Right, right. I love those points because I know that I have been guilty of some of them. And I do think like ones where me saying, what can I do to help rather than just doing something to help? I think that's one that we're common, where I'm commonly guilty of. I genuinely do mean it. Like I will do anything, but I forget that when they are in an overwhelmed state for them to come up with, well, you could do this or you could do that, that it would be better if I just did something. I think we fear that I'll be doing the wrong thing or you won't need something or you'll think it's silly. So thank you for that because it is a good reminder for all of us and certainly for me that these little things do make a difference. Yeah, and I just want to make sure I say that if someone is listening to these things and they think they may have done something wrong, it really doesn't matter. Like everyone understands that this can be a really uncomfortable and awkward situation. And so it just doesn't matter. Like, honestly, people aren't really thinking, honestly, people aren't really thinking about you that much during a time. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's another thing. It's not about you. <laughs> so don't even worry. But if you do want to learn more about some do's and don'ts, we are going to get into that right now. That's right. We There's a great list that we stumbled across. Um, I wish I could give credit for all these do's and don'ts. A lot of everything that we've just shared up until now has sort of been our own conversations and obviously a lot of Rachel's very personal experience. But I came across a good list of do's and don'ts and I thought, okay, these are good. And when I showed them to Rachel, she was like, oh, yes. <laughs> 
These are good because she shared with me some of the don'ts, I guess, that people have done. But let's dive into them. The first one is really the do's. Accept that you may feel awkward or uncomfortable talking about the person and suicide. You can even admit that you don't know what to say and just don't let your discomfort prevent you from reaching out. So that basically speaks to what the advice I had given to my kids who are like, oh, I don't know what to say. I just want to give Rachel some space and give Rachel some time. And I'm like, no, (laughs) don't do that. You don't have to be overwhelming, but reach out. So that's a do. Yeah. I loved it when people said, I just really don't know what to say, because honestly, there is nothing to say. Right. There are no words for it. Exactly. Number two, invite the person to talk about the loved one they've lost or to share memories if that's what they want to do. The important thing is to be there, whether the person needs a shoulder to cry on or a listening ear. And I had kind of shared about how something that's been helpful for me is sharing that video with people. And so people may want to talk about it. Some people may not, but I think just giving that option to people is just really important. Mm -hmm. That they want to talk about their loved one. They want to keep that memory alive and they want to share. That's part of their, they're part of their loving the person and the grieving of the person. I think also another do is understanding that the person may have a lot of conflicting emotions and there's no right or wrong way to feel or think or behave after a loss. And so just being really open to allow that person to express their pain and loss without judgment, it's really validating that their experience is their experience and it's real and there's no right or wrong way for them to feel. Mm-hmm. And it changes day by day. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. The next do is to offer help with practical tasks such as grocery shopping, preparing meals, notifying others of the death or helping with funeral arrangements. Those are just some examples. And it kind of goes along with what we were saying that especially if you are going to offer help, I think it is good to come with a suggestion as well. Mm-hmm. especially like if you don't want to overstep, you don't just want to do something coming with a suggestion. And these are really simple things that can ease the burden a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think things like meals and helping with practical tasks that that is helpful. I mean, you may end up with a lot of casseroles, but yeah, my mom <laughs> attested that. <laughs> Lots of food. But it's how people want to help and how people show that they care mm-hmm. and, I think it's a great way to do things. If we don't know what to do, we often make a casserole. So yeah, <laughs> the comfort casserole. Yes. That's <laughs> I'm glad that there's some humor and lightness that we can check because this is a very heavy topic and it's a way of dealing with heaviness too, is having some laughter and, and some connection. Um, Another do is, and we talked about this last time, when you're talking about the person's death, really being cognizant of the terms that you use, died by suicide, took their life or chose to end their life, as opposed to when we refer to something as committed suicide. We're no longer using those terms. And I think it's just out of respect for the person and the, the family and loved ones left behind that died by suicide is the proper terminology to use. Yeah. Great. The next one, the next do is to just be there. You can sit with them, 
watch TV or a movie, listen to music, go for a walk together, do homework together if you're in college or going to school. Just that simple act of actually having someone be there. And I know, Leah, you and Rob were great examples of that. I remember when I got the call from my sister about my brother. It was really traumatic. And Rob and Leah drove Zach and I to the hospital. And I just remember I was feeling kind of bad that they were taking all this time out of their day. And I remember Leah telling me, it doesn't matter. Like, you just need to feel that there are people here. Even if we're not doing that much, you need to be able to visualize that there are people who are on your side that are here to support you. So it can be super simple, but I really like that it says like, be with them because that visual connection is important. Right. Yeah. Because obviously we took you to the hospital so that you could be with your family. Mm -hmm. And as much as you are part of our family, that you needed to be with your immediate family. And so Rob and I just knew we wanted to be there for both of you, but we didn't have to be included in things. And just so that you knew we're in the cafeteria. You don't have to come check on us. You don't have to do anything. Well, we did do many (laughs) check-ins. You did do many check-ins, but and that was nice too, but you didn't have to. I just wanted you to know that you were not alone. You were supported. Yeah. Anything that you did need, we were there for you. Yeah. And we didn't really do much. We didn't really do anything. We just sat and, you know, we're in the cafeteria for you. And I think that that is the way to support people. Yeah. Just the it was really meaningful. Yeah. You can also help people connect with resources if you are able to do research for them. I think you have to be careful not to push resources on people. Here's a support group. Here's some counseling. Here's some. I think there's lots of great support out there. I usually recommend counseling or coaching for people all the time anyway. It's very natural for me to do. But especially in times like this, we want to be aware that we're not pushing something on somebody, but sometimes people do want the support and they don't know where to turn or what kind of help to look for. So you can offer to, do you want me to help you find some resources, help find somebody that you can talk to? Again, coming to them with an action plan, offering a certain type of help. Yeah. Right. Exactly. All right, now we are going to move on to some don'ts. So Mm -hmm. I will start us off. Don't make judgments about the person who died or label them as selfish, weak, or crazy, for example. As we talked about last week, suicide is the result of extreme emotional distress. And again, like we said, tons of different factors, not a character defect. Yeah, not a moral defect or not a weakness or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important one. And also don't be asking explanations or speculating on the reasons why the person took their own life. If somebody wants to share that with you, they will. Your role is really to be supportive and not be interrogating the person like, Oh, what happened or why, or any of the details. If they want to share, they will. So allow them to guide you in the conversation. You are just there as a container to hold space and to support them in whatever way they need. Mm -hmm. I love that. The next one is don't issue platitudes such as they're at peace now or they're in a better place. Such hollow reassurances rarely provide comfort and can even alienate the grieving person, making them feel more alone. 
and we had a little talk about this before we started recording. <laughs> but I was just sharing with Leah that I completely agree with this and I don't really like it. I know where it's coming from. I know it's coming from people trying to help you feel better and it's coming from a place of love, but it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't really help. And I was telling Leah that probably the worst thing someone has said to me this far when I was expressing about how I was feeling and sharing kind of a little bit about what happened. And they just told me like, everyone goes through stuff. Lots of people go through way worse things than you. Just be grateful that you have what you are going through instead of the challenges that other people are going through. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. And you know, the conversation that I had with Rachel after that is people, I know exactly that's coming from a good place yeah. or the, yeah. I mean, that one's that a little iffy from a good place, but that's a bit of a stretch. But I was saying the worst thing that will ever happen to people is what happens to you. Mm-hmm. And just because your backpack, I use this analogy, just because your backpack is super, super heavy, it doesn't make mine feel any lighter. Mm-hmm. And there is no universal scale of pain. There's no comparison of one person's pain versus another person's pain. Some people may feel that way while there are worse things that can happen. And I'm not going to argue that with anybody, but I do know that just because something horrific happens to somebody else does not lighten my load when I am going through pain and adversity. So we're best to just let people have their pain and grieve and we're there to support and not judge and not try to take it away from them by telling them that it's not as bad as they think. Yeah. Well, and it can also lead to more shame too, because you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be feeling this way because really there aren't more people going through lots of hard things, but it's not true. Yeah. How do you feel about when people say to you, I know how you feel? Yeah. (laughs) So so there is one girl in the nursing program that I'm really glad I met last semester because she has also lost a sibling, not in the same way, but we've been able to connect about a lot of things. And she will frequently say, I can't even imagine. I have no idea what you're going through. I have no idea how you feel. But in certain things, she's like, yeah, I totally get that. And so when you've established that there is a similarity there, Mm -hmm. it's a lot more comfortable but yeah it is a little interesting when people say that but they've never experienced it because I can tell you I had no idea what this would feel like there I could have never in a million years imagined what this would feel like and so it is hard if you haven't gone through it and it's not to say you can't help and support someone if you haven't gone through it you totally can but just using that phrase is sometimes a little I don't know how to explain it. Well, lots of us have experienced loss. And so I think that's where people are coming from when they say, I know how you feel because they have experienced loss. I think it is important to say, I've experienced my own loss. I I don't know how you feel. I can imagine Mm -hmm. that it's pretty painful. Maybe you can share something if you feel there has been a similar experience. But you also want to make sure that you're allowing the person to have their experience. Sometimes if we do even know or think we know how somebody feels, we cut them off by right away jumping in and sharing our experience. We want to allow people to have the space. And really, we will never know 
how people feel. We can have empathy and imagine that it might be difficult. And we can imagine that the pain they're feeling could be similar to pain we have experienced at different times in our life, but probably steer clear of saying to people, yeah, I know how you feel. Well, yeah. And I have definitely been guilty of this in the past before this. I'm definitely going to change. Like I've learned so much through this process about how to help people. Cause I've been guilty of a lot of the things that we've said not to do in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all have. Yeah, totally. And so I like that you said like giving them space to talk because really it is about them in that moment. And like you said, not interrupting. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard, especially if you're talking to people who have a shared loss. Like I can even imagine that dealing with your family members and you have other siblings and your parents, you are all going through your own unique experiences and you're all grieving in your own way. So even as siblings, you may think, well, I know how you feel because we're all siblings, but nobody knows. And there's no one better than the other. It is a unique experience for everybody. Another one is don't wait for, and we've kind of talked about this before, is not waiting for people to ask for help because they may be too deep in their grief and their pain to realize that they need something. So this really comes back to the one that I'm guilty of. Let me know if I can do something. I know why this one is a challenge for me because I don't want to intrude. I don't want to show up with a casserole if they are thinking, why are you bringing me food? And so that's why I do feel like I want to ask them, what do they need? But I know I need to be a little bit more aware that sometimes they don't know what they need or they don't want to ask. And it just places a burden on them to come up with something. So this is definitely when I have to it's improve a tricky more on. One. It's a tricky one. And I'll just share that when I came back to Utah, I had to get my nails taken off that I got done for my sister-in-law's wedding. And because it was so recent, like we kind of got on the topic about what was going on. And she shared with me that she had actually lost her husband at around the same age. And she had three kids and she was a single mother. And so I just asked her, like, how do you wish you would have been supported? Like, what are things you wish people would have known? And she said this, she said, it's really nice when people say, let me know what I can do. But she was saying how she did not know at all what she needed. She said she was literally just trying to survive just trying to make sure kids were alive, trying to make sure everything like the bare minimum needs were met. And she just had no space to think about what she needed. And she didn't even know what she needed. And so that was really interesting to me. But like you're saying, it can feel awkward. So that's why I think a good compromise is just saying, hey, I want to offer you some help. Would you prefer a meal? Would you prefer this? Or would you prefer that? (laughs) Beautiful. Give the choice. I love that. Beautiful. Okay. That's what I need to do from now on. Yes. Yes. Another one is just being aware that somebody who is grieving a suicide or grieving any loss in general, really, try not to lose patience with them. They may may need to talk about their loss over and over and over again without the fear of interruption or judgment. And even sometimes talking over the same points can be really helpful for them. Mm -hmm. So try to be really patient with people when they are grieving. And it kind of seems obvious, but I think what happens is initially everybody is super patient, but then they're sort of like, okay, well, it's been a little bit of time now that maybe they've been able to move on. But the reality for a lot of the family and loved ones is 
they are still very, very heavily stuck in grief. Mm -hmm. So to be patient and allow people to talk as much as they need to talk. I love this one because as someone personally experiencing this right now, you can feel a little self-conscious, especially if you can mm -hmm. tell someone is is losing patience. You can feel a little self-conscious because you're like, I know I've already talked about this, but it is really something that I'm feeling. And I would go so far as to say is don't lose patience with yourself because I still mm -hmm. have days, like sometimes every day, that I feel exactly how I felt on that first day. And mm -hmm. I'm like, it's already been this long. Why am I still feeling this way? But you have to have patience with yourself too. Yeah, that's such an excellent point. So the last one we're going to talk about today is don't be afraid to speak the name of the person who died. Your loved one will be grateful for the opportunity to reminisce. How do you feel about that one? I love that one mm -hmm. because as we've been saying, it can be really awkward and uncomfortable and people don't really know what to do and they don't want to trigger anything. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, there are constantly triggers. So <laughs> saying they will not really be That's right. that you, much. You don't have to worry. The triggers come up naturally. They come up naturally. And it is really, really nice to be able to talk about the person who you loved so dearly. Mm -hmm. And to share a little bit about them and about their life and who they were so that they can be remembered. Yeah that they can still live on. Mm -hmm. I love that. So those are just some ways that you can help. Obviously, it's not an exhaustive list. There are many other ways and everyone is different. Is there anything you want people to know specifically as you're going through this right now? Um, I think we covered a lot of things. Obviously, we could probably sit here for two straight days and cover all mm -hmm. the things that someone could do. And I do just really want to make sure that I am talking about my personal experience. So some of the things that I've said might not work for other people. And I just think the most important thing is being there, mm -hmm. letting people know that you're there. And it was one of the things that was so beautiful was I didn't realize actually how much support I had until this happened. Right. And there were hundreds of people, hundreds of people at the funeral, mm -hmm. hundreds of people reaching out. Mm -hmm. probably not hundreds of people reaching out, but many. <laughs> but there were hundreds at the funeral. There are hundreds of people who wanted to support your family. Yeah. You know, just being one of those people makes a big difference. And also, I know we've talked about a lot of do's and don'ts, but doing something is always better than doing nothing. And don't be so afraid of messing up that you just don't reach out at all. Because while we did do this list, nobody's perfect and reaching out is the most important thing. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I know this took a lot of courage. You are such a brave person. And I know this was an important part of starting of your healing. I think healing is a lifelong journey, but this was a way for you when we first started talking about this idea that this was a way for you to help spread awareness, to do your part and to keep the memory of your brother Josh alive, coincidentally, that it's not the same Josh that we, that we talked about earlier because I have a son, Josh, and Rachel's brother who died by suicide. His name is Josh as well. But this is a way to honor Josh and to keep his memory alive and hopefully to help others who are going through this. So I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on here and sharing and being vulnerable and courageous. I just really appreciate it. And I know that there is at least one person listening 
who is touched by this and you have made a difference. Well, thank you so much, Leah. It was my pleasure. That's what we have for you today and I will see you next time. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.